Our scripture reading today is out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. We're going to read the first seven verses. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for bringing us all here together where, where we may hear your word, Lord. We may study uh, what you would have for us, Lord. We may have our lives even changed this morning for what you have laid on our hearts. Lord, it's an opportunity we get to fellowship with one another, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the people sitting next to us in these pews, Lord. We thank you for those who are at home for us, Lord, for every single person who cares for us. We thank you for putting them in our lives. And Lord, we ask that as we go forward in this service, that you would bless the words of Pastor Doug as he comes and shares your truth. And Lord, that you would bless the ears of those who hear it. We love you and we praise you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are coming to the end of our study in the book of Hebrews. After today, Lord willing, just two more messages and we'll be finished and then we will, I believe the Lord leading us to dive into the book of uh, Habakkuk, or if you would wish to pronounce it Habakkuk, <laughs> however, but we shall see what the Lord has. Now, Adeline and Nolan, as much as we recognized you as king and queen of homecoming, those are important places. But I want you to know something. There's a king that is higher than you, and his name is Jesus. So we would do us well if we welcome these two as royalty of a court. Maybe we ought to give a praise offering to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's do that. <laughs> For it is he who has saved us, not we ourselves. He has given us a gift of preciousness that will never be extinguished throughout time. As the choir sang, we are who he says we are. We're children of God. Thank the Lord. Before I do begin, before we dive into these first seven verses, I'm sure some of you, at least I know some of you, have texted me, and I've been made aware of it, of a war that is happening in Israel right now. They've been attacked. I pity them. Those are God's people. And they don't realize yet that they're fighting a losing battle. But still, 
the great tragedy, even this morning, as I read an article, that they are taking women and children out of their homes and killing them. So it would do us well to pray for the peace of Israel. Let's do that. God, our eyes are upon your crown jewel. The apple of your eye has described the nation of Israel. You've chosen them for a purpose. And right now they are in the midst of hostility. Groups of individuals who would really rather eradicate them from the face of the earth are attacking them. Women and children are being slaughtered. Oh God, our heart aches for them. Our eyes look unto you, O Lord, and ask for you to intervene. As you have so many times before throughout history, you've protected your people. And we ask, O Lord, that you would pour upon them Give to them, O Lord, a protection that can only come from your hand. I pray for the families that have felt devastation. I ask, O God, that we know of missionaries that are in that area who have shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that your gospel would ring even louder. Give them hope, O Lord God. We thank you for your word and the promises of it, and we come to a very practical piece of scripture. And I pray, O Lord, that you would help us to understand, help me to explain it well. The words that I do not yet know what to speak, I pray, O God, that you would give them to me. That you would allow our minds and our hearts to be set upon you and that you would receive all the honor and the glory. And these things we ask, not an end of ourselves, because without you we can do nothing. And I pray, God, that you would direct us in the furtherance of this service for your glory. I ask you. Amen. Before we get into chapter 13, verse 1, I want you to just look at chapter 12, and in verse 28, I believe it is. There's an interesting phrase there. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and with awe. We looked at last week, at least we concluded last week, the six essentials of what we call uh, Christian maturity. But yet, those particular essentials point to chapter 13 as far as how do we put that into service. Chapter 13 sort of puts the flesh back on the bones. It sort of gives meaning to what the writer of Hebrews was talking about in the previous chapters. It, It culminizes all of it into the very realm of this is what we should be doing. As believers, as a church, as a fellowship of faith, we are called to do these things in the first seven verses. And it's not the end, by the way. 
Now, the first seven, there's, it's not a long passage, and the sentences are not very long either. And, and, and so I'm not going to spend an exorbitant amount of time on each one. But we're talking about, as the writer of Hebrews is, is drawing us to, there are things that we have to be committed to. And then there are things that we have to be contented with. And in each one of those, there are two illustrations. The first one, it, it being committed to, is this. Love the brethren. Keep on loving the brethren. That's an interesting word, by the way. In the Greek, loving the brethren is all one word. And it takes us three words to I guess, explain what the writer in Greek was saying. It, it begins with a combination of Hebrew or Greek terms. Philos, which is the, we get our word Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly shove. <laughs> no, the city of brotherly love is supposed to be known as. And any other is Eldelphia, uh, which we get brotherly, brethren. But if you trace, if you're interested, you, you can trace those, at least that second word, Eldelphius, and you come to realize that what it really means in a deeper fashion is people who come from the same womb. They've been born in the same family. I have two sisters, one older and one younger. And, and we, we formed a family. I didn't like them, they didn't like me. But that was okay because we still took care of each other. We still loved each other in a very dynamic way. The other day we were going to a restaurant and my wife noticed a, uh, a couple that were, you know, smooched on the lips each other. And, and of course, we, we kind of wondered. We never met them before. We're hoping they're husband and wife. And I said, well, maybe they're brother and sister. And I didn't see him do this, but maybe they're brother and sister. And, and my wife said, would you ever kiss your sister on the lips? No way. <laughs> That's not going to happen. No, no, no. But I do love them. I care for them. And now, now, let's face it, dear people. Here we are all this morning. And, and I'm going to use the illustration of the, of the gentlemen that are here, the team, that they're not all gifted the same way. We have running backs, we have receivers, we have defensive backs, we, we have offensive linemen, defensive linemen are here this morning. We have linebackers that are here, we have a quarterback that's here. And yet, they all are gifted differently, but they get along because they form a team. A team. Their, their goal is to complete a mission, and that is to win a game. And they're doing that very well this year. They're accomplishing their goals. But I've noticed over time that they get along better with each other. They've developed not just a team, but I think even as a family, they've developed together. And, and that's what we are here at Grace Community Church. We're all gifted differently. But we've been developing ourselves into a family, a family of faith, if you will. And if I can just say this, you know yourself that it's an awful lot easier to learn something if someone shows you how it's done. I mean, you can read about riding a bicycle, 
you can look up and find out all of the benefits of riding a bicycle. Who would ever want to do that? I have no idea. But anyway, but it doesn't really click until you help them get on the seat. And as they put their feet on the paddle, you may have to walk beside them and say, you can do it. You can do it. Just keep your balance. You can do it. And eventually you let go and, and off they go. And, and so the, the church, I think what the writer of Hebrews is getting at in this culture that they are in in the first century, they're being pulled in all different directions. And he's telling them, love each other as a family. And don't disregard each other. Love one another. But I did find it interesting that the writer of Hebrews didn't use the highest form of love. He didn't use agape. He used philadelphios. It's that brotherly love. It's that connection. We've come from the same womb. And the womb is this. We have been born by the Holy Spirit into the family of God. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing to me that I never want to ever become stale in my life. It was Christ who died for me. It's the Father who watches over me. It's the Holy Spirit that guides and directs us. Why? Because we're a family. And so the, the author of Hebrews is saying, if you really want to worship God in awe, then love one another. You see how they connect? It's a very practical thing. That doesn't mean we're always going to get along. I understand that. I've come from a family. I have a family. Five girls and one boy, you think they all got along? Good Lord, have mercy. No. The only perfect one sits right here in, this, in the second pew. <laughs> it was me and him against six. But we knew as a family, when we get together, it's crazy. It is so much fun. And, and that's what we are. We, don't always gotta, we didn't always get along. I, I can't stand it that some of my family members, my children, would even think of considering rooting for the Dallas Cowboys. How dare they do that? They were born and raised. They were fed New York Giants. Then my son, he goes off, way off. The Detroit Lions, who would root for them? <laughs> In Pennsylvania. But we get along. That's what we're to do as a church. If we want our community to know who we are, who Jesus Christ is, the author of Hebrews is saying, love the brethren. But he goes on to another subject, too. He goes on to make sure you love strangers. Strangers. I am impressed, literally impressed, when we do have visitors that come, that you as a body reach out to them. I'm impressed with that. I know you all got your own pews you got to sit in. The boys over here, the men over here, they've taken some of your pews. I know you're all messed up. That's okay. That's okay. But we're to love, we are to love strangers. 
And it's kind of interesting that he, he, uh, the writer, uh, the author of Hebrews draws in the fact that sometimes you don't even know that you're entertaining an angel. Now, where in the world would that come from? Well, when you have time, turn back to Genesis chapter 18. Not this morning, but when you have time, Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to 22. Abram is on the plane. And, th- and three individuals show up. And he begins to minister to them. He, t- he tells Sarai, hey, it's time to make dinner for these two, for these three. And, and, and then in that particular account, we realize that two of the individuals were angels that were sent off to Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know what happened there. So you never know who you're ministering to, strangers. But in a more historical context, I think we need to, to draw on what one individual had to write concerning this. That during the time of this particular time, in the environment of the early church, I'm reading a quote here. It was essential since alternate, if you will, alternative facilities for travelers were such that Christians would not choose to make use of them. Wayfarers, hostels they're called, where they existed were notorious for immorality, but the New Testament concept of hospitality has a much wider application than this. In the Middle East, hospitality is a means of friendship to invite a person to a meal, to extend fellowship to him. Now, one of the interesting things that we've grown up with as a family, as we had it witnessed in our parents, and then we, we tried to reciprocate that ourselves as our family, is that our parents were notorious for inviting strange people, strangers, to the house for, for dinner after church. There were some times I wish it didn't happen when I was growing up, but, there, but I got to learn some things. This is what we do. We make sure that we and greet and, and make friends. Now imagine this, if you can. Here, here you are, you're, you're traveling on a dusty, dirty road in the time period of this is written. And you're looking for a place for rest. And you know that I don't want to spend time in these shady places where you have to sleep with one eye open wondering what's going to happen at night. And so pretty soon a a husband and a wife come up to you and pat you on the back and say, why don't you come to our house? We have an extra bed for you to sleep. We would love to entertain you. And oh, by the way, we we lock our doors at night. Come and join us. And you go there and you sit down in a meal and all of a sudden you see this family interacting with each other and how much they love each other, how much they care for each other. It must be a pretty perfect family, I would say. But anyway, the idea of it is is that all of a sudden this stranger in town recognizes the fact that there is something different here. And pretty soon as the evening goes on, You start hearing about who Jesus is. You're starting to get the idea that he loves you that much, that he died for you, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. Isn't it interesting the song that we sang at the very beginning? 
Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. Oh, glorious day. And then all of a sudden, you leave that particular village and you're walking to the next one. What are you going to be looking for? You're going to be looking for this group that's called Christian. Because of what they did for you there. You find out that they do it for you here. Entertain strangers. Now, I know in our culture, all of you are saying, Pastor, do you know who's out there? Yes, I do. I do. But I'm also aware of the one who protects you. His name is Jesus. And you can trust him. Well, maybe instead of taking him to our home, maybe we can take him out to McDonald's for, for breakfast or for lunch. Yeah, you can do that. But just make sure you give to them the message that will change their lives. It's Jesus. The next group is really kind of interesting. Prisoners. Those who have been incarcerated. I'd like to see a show of hands uh, outside of Daryl Byerly. How many of you have ever been in a prison? As a, as a visitor, I should say. Amen. <laughs> when, when you walk in there, the doors behind you bring a chill in your spine as they close. And in the one of the uh, facilities down in Lancaster, I was in there, and, and, and you go through three doors, and then finally you get to a center, if you will, a circle of where in the center of that is all of this dark windows that you can't see in, but they can see you. And there are four different aisles that you can go down to to see those who are incarcerated. And you don't move. A voice comes over and says, stay where you are. And then you hear this buzz and then an unlocking of a door. And that's the door you go through. Then the voice comes, you may move. Yes, sir. And you go down there and, and you visit an individual. And between you and that individual is bulletproof glass. You're still not connected. But even more so in this particular passage, it talks about individuals who have been incarcerated because of their faith. It says that you are to, if you will, get close to them, understand them in the, in the same way that, that you would feel if you were incarcerated for your faith. And, and, and so the writer of Hebrews is saying, Make sure you love them. Make sure. I mean, it, it gets me every October, and I should be prepared for this, but when they show that crazy video of Operation Christmas Child, i got to take my hanky out afterwards and wipe my eyes because of those children getting opportunities that, that we take for granted in this state's. And they have nothing. And they get these gifts. I'm shooting for 200 boxes this year. Can I get an amen from the congregation? Two boxes. <coughs> Honey, I'm telling you right now, whatever we did last year, we're doubling. Just want to let you know right now. 
Okay? Thank you. She said yes. <laughs> the best day of my life was 49 years ago when she said yes. She didn't know what she was getting. And it wasn't a Christmas present, believe me. Anyway. And so we are to love them. And when I read that article this morning about the, just the carnage, my heart ached for them. People in Israel, don't forget to pray for them. Don't forget to love them. The next thing that we are to in, in this particular section of being committed to, as the author of Hebrews writes for us in verse 4, he says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge. Marriage. It seems to be a throwaway commodity these days, doesn't it? Seems to be a struggle. And I know that in many, many situations, there are circumstances that that lead to that. I wish they didn't, but they do. But marriage is to be honored. Now, what was happening, you have to understand in the historical context of this particular passage is this, is that they were surrounded by individuals who didn't believe that marriage should happen because it was, a, it was more of a physical thing and so they only believed that which was spiritual is righteous. And so they refused to be married. In fact, they would even look down on marriage. It's not being instituted by God, but instituted by the forces of darkness. And then there was another group of individuals that took marriage uh, another, another dynamic. A devilish dynamic, I would say. Because they would enter into brothels. They would enter into temples of worship of other foreign gods. That in that worship experience, there was all kinds of sexual immorality that was happening. I believe that's how we can connect, if you will, the, the end of chapter 12 with this particular statement. We're to worship God in awe. Marriage was instituted by him. It was given for the purpose, if you will, of being a witness if, of, of two lives being brought together. If I can even take to this, to this illustration, we have that even in our, in, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. He's brought us together to be with him. It's a perfect picture of what the marriage is supposed to be. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, to worship God in awe, love your brethren, love strangers, love prisoners, keep marriage sacred for what it is. Commitment. But in verses 5 through 7, now is contentment. To be content. You'll notice that this contentment is being at peace with what we have as well as with our position in life. Being content. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you don't strive to be better at what you are. But to be content of where you are. He's talking about. In fact, two things. Money and position. Money and position. I remember reading an article a long time ago when one of the most wealthiest men was on his deathbed and the question to him was, when's enough enough? And he said, one dollar more. Always one dollar more. Never content. Never content. And the best way to, to understand to be content with, with money is go around people that are content with what they have. Not, not striving for. Remember, you can read about being content. You can even, in fact, you can trace, if you will, the examples of being content. But until you sit with someone who is content, who's not striving for all the riches in the world. So what if you win the lottery? It's not but a few years later that you have nothing left. One husband and wife won a lottery of $2.3 million dollars. And they went out and bought a boat. They didn't have enough to put fuel in it. They didn't have enough money to, to pay for its lodging. I guess that's what they call a boat. Uh, not a hotel. I guess it's at a dock. And so they lost it. They lost everything. They were not content. Not content at all. And the writer of Hebrews is saying here in verse 5, he says these, these kind of words. Keep your life free from the love of money. It doesn't say keep your life free from money. We can't do that. Well, until the government institutes a central bank digital system, then they'll tell you what you can and can't have. Well, they already do that. I'm on Social Security. Anybody else here on Social Security? Can I get an amen? Yeah. They tell you what you can have. I'd like to know why, after I retire, how come I didn't get a check, a big check, of all of that? And God said, because you'd have spoiled it anyway, so I'll just give you a little bit at a time. It's not that we're supposed to be free of money. It's not that we're not supposed to plan for the future, for retirement, for, uh, and other things that are coming along. No, that's not what he's saying. Be free from the love of it. The desire to always... Want more. Not satisfied with anything. And the writer of Hebrews says, if you want to worship God in all, strive, if you will, to be content. Certainly with money. And lastly, I know we're moving kind of quickly, but I hope you'll go back and read the passage for yourself. But lastly, be content with the position that you have in, in life. Be content with that. Not everybody is, is, is going to be able to accomplish everything in their life. In fact, I, I, it makes me cringe when I hear individuals say, you can become anything you want to be. No, you can't. No, you cannot. I do not have the facility and able to accomplish what's called carpentry work. I don't want to. When I want something fixed, this is what I do. <laughs> I don't want to know anything about electricity, only in the fact that when I turn a light switch on, something had better work. 
And if it doesn't, I'm calling my good buddy Zach. What do I do? I don't know a thing about plumbing. I don't want to. I don't know a thing about surgery or, or anything. I, I don't want to. And believe me, dear people, you don't want to know how to do this. You don't. If there's anything in my, remember, oh, Dr. Figer telling us boys in class, if there's anything in life that you think you would like to do, do that first. Because if you don't, and you go into ministry, you're going to regret that you didn't. I wanted to ride cross country on a motorcycle. My wife wouldn't let me. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. Because later on in life, I found out that my hips would not have made it. That's why I have two artificial hips. I was born, as my physician said, you were a freak. <laughs> Can I get a second opinion? Yeah, you're ugly too. <laughs> my hips would not have taken it. I would have ended somewhere in one of the states in a hospital. Hips wore out. But what we do have in our position, the writer of Hebrews says, be content in that. And in fact, he goes on and, and, and even declares that in being in content of that, look at your leaders. Are they worthwhile imitating? Now I know that there are times that as a church, we have disagreements because we're all saved sinners. That's all we are. And there's times when we think that, oh, maybe that pastor is way off on that. And rightly so. But if the leadership of Grace Community Church is leading and leaning upon the word of God for direction and the Holy Spirit, the writer of Hebrews is saying, follow him. Follow him. God has a plan. I'm not saying that to, to highlight any elder or deacon here. But the issue is, is God has instituted those for the purpose of leading his church. And as long as they are not following or falling away from the preservation, if you will, of the scriptures, follow them. Doesn't mean you can't ask questions. Doesn't mean you don't have an opinion. But follow them. Whatever we're doing. Oh, we've moved quickly, I know. And, and I wish I could take each one of these subjects and maybe spend one message on them. Maybe that'll come near on other future things. But realize, dear people, that we are to be thankful for a kingdom that's not going to be shaken because we have a God who loves us and we need to worship him in awe of who he is. Well, we've come to the end of time and the end of this passage. Next week, Lord willing, we will continue and finish 
this glorious book of Hebrews. I encourage you, start reading Habakkuk. It's only three chapters, but it's going to take us six weeks to get through it. Read it. Amen. I'll take that as a drum roll. Let's pray. God, thank you. As we close this service, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love to us. Thank you for your grace to us, your mercy. And we thank you for allowing us to be a part of a family of faith called the church. We lean upon you for direction. We ask of you for strength and for guidance. And we thank you, O oh Lord God, that the purpose here of Grace Community Church is being light and salt in a world that needs both light and preservation. And for that, we declare in the glory of our great God, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.